Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, let's get moving because I don't have all night. Let's go. All right. He doesn't have all night. Come on, Jaime. I was waiting for Jaime to strike things. I did. So let's do the mark thing. So three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 297, three episodes away from the famous episode 300. My name is Timitra, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And down there, south of the border, is Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Right, not that Jaime is not south of the border, but, you know. <laughs> I guess you, yeah, you're not south of the border. Well, you're north. You're south, south of, of your border. The border. <laughs> Canadian not, border. Yeah, but you're north of me, so, yeah. What can I say? All righty. Uh, some fact check from last week. We were talking about the Get a Mac program. Um, I couldn't remember John Hodgman's name. So Justin Long and John Hodgman were the two actors who played... Uh, John Hodgman played the PC and um, Justin Long played the Mac, I think, secretly at the time. I don't know if people knew this or, or not, but uh, John Hodgman was a Mac user at the time he did those commercials. Anywho... Um, Another piece of follow-up, Mark mentioned red box, yellow box, blue box, and I dug into that a bit, and I found on low-end Mac that uh, the red box was supposed to be a PC environment that never really saw the light of day. Yellow box is what became OS X, uh, and blue box was was created to support the classic apps, classic app environment in uh, during that time of um, switching over to Mac OS X. But I was talking about the earlier ex- example, switching from uh, Quad to power PCs and I and I just I wasn't I was reminded by this when I looked into it that Apple actually made a, a 68k emulator that ran on power PC which is why there wasn't a whole lot of rewriting for like software just kind of ran on power PC if you had like older apps and stuff like that they seemed to just work um, in fact I seem to remember running Mac paint till quite late like OS or system 9 or system 8 but um, the, the problem was it ran really, really slow so you would get a third the speed of a quadra so if you went from a quadra six 
650 to a Power Mac 7100 or an 8100, you know, people were just livid because it was so, the performance was just horrible. And you can just imagine, like, you know, when we get slow Xcode and stuff like that or slow OSs, we, we all complain about it. But um, but I, I, interesting that, that there were this is the sort of the, the follow-up on the emulators that, uh, that Apple came up with. They're pretty good at that, I think. You know, like it was kind of seamless from, um, from Quadra to PowerPC. And I, I you know, it, it was pretty seamless until uh, for a few, what, Lion, I think, was when we stopped being able to use um, the classic environment on OS X, right? And the last piece of fall, or two more pieces of uh, fact check here. Fact check was that Saturday uh, mornings, I used to watch the Star Trek, the animated series, um, and that ran from 73 to 74 on NBC. And I think at the time, yeah, 22 episodes, it says here, over two seasons. Um, and the, um, I was right, Star Trek actually was, the original series was canceled in 1969. So a few, I was off by a few years. But I do remember watching, um, I think uh, for a while there, at around noon on Saturday mornings, they would run, on CBC, they would run Star Trek at the original series. So that's how I sort of kind of became enamored with it as a young lad. And uh, last week we mentioned a gentleman named Steve, and Jaime couldn't find his last name, uh, from Tihaw.net. He was right. What did he write about? I forgot. But his name is Steve Fisher. I found him on on the Twitter machine. Or GitHub, I think, actually. So um, that's, uh, yeah, the fact check. So we'll just scoot on to uh, some follow-up from Jaime. Yeah, very similar to the months of March and April. Uh, in the month of May, Apple Card users who are struggling due to the pandemic can go ahead and skip their May payment with no interest. Nice. Notably, it is a deferral and not uh, absolving of, of debt. Um, so you still have to end up paying it at some point. Um, just you don't have to worry about missing a payment and therefore having um, interest and in, etc. grow on that. So that meant March, April, and May so far? Yeah, it's a it's a full wow. full quarter of the year at the moment. So you know, uh, take advantage of it if that's what you need. If um, if not, then uh, I guess no big deal for you. Yeah, it's pretty unheard of for sure. Right. So what's next? Yeah, similar to unheard of. <laughs> and you know, I, I saw this same exact topic about Apple reporting its quarterly earnings, and I think very similar to the Forbes article that we uh, mentioned last week. Um, the doomed one. Oh no, they're doomed. Well, it's so, so sell your stuff. Oh, quick. I saw the entire gamut, and this uh, Ars Technica one is the m- sort of more neutral that I saw. Some were like, wow, Apple did really good considering how terrible everything is in the world. And then some were like, oh my gosh, like look how bad it is. Doom, doom, doomed. And, and this one was the middle that said, uh, in an unusual investor call, Apple reports flat quarterly earnings amid COVID-19. And, um, and notably here, yeah. in a break with common practice, um, and Apple's not alone here, uh, they did not provide guidance for the next quarter. Order, citing the inability to predict the sort of bananas nature we're living in right now. Yeah, it's funny, you know, like we've been watching the Apple stock over the last, you know, little while. I mean, it dipped quite a bit from where it was, you know, um, but it's kind of it's back up around 300, 290, something like that. Um, but yeah, it went down quite a ways. Um, so people were getting back on it. But that was true of any stock, right? Uh, if, if I mean, if you're brave enough to go look at your investments now, I mean, you probably look at what you where you were in January and where you are now. You've probably lost a big chunk of money. Don't panic, you know, stay the course, as they say, and, and it'll come back. I mean, I learned a long time ago, investing is a, is a sine wave, you know, like you, you can't plan for the peaks and the troughs. You just sort of have to on the long term plan for the median, right? And hope for the best. 
Right. You know, the big, the big takeaway here was that, uh, services related revenue, that being Apple music, app store, iCloud, Apple care, Apple TV plus Apple arcade and Apple news is up 2.2 billion compared to the same quarter a year ago. So as we've said before, we think services is sort of the, the future. So riding along with that. And it seems like that has borne out to be quite true as other services related companies have weathered the storm better during the pandemic. So make right, your, right. make your business plans accordingly. Hmm, cool. Yeah. So I guess this is you again, Mark. Uh, I may. Yeah. The spoiler is these next ones. Just keep going. Four yeah. are very close to the rated. So very quickly, we had mentioned Microsoft build their big developer conference going virtual only this year. And we have, um, an actual date where, where is the date? May 19th at 8 a.m. Pacific time, uh, just for your local time zone. It is going free and virtual and being very heavily developer focused for this year. You can go register. The link is in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Um, and this is normally a, apparently a $2,395 entry fee, not including, you know, travel, hotel, all that stuff. So this is, this is quite a big, uh, quite a big savings for, for folks. Um, granted it will be a different experience, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Joe Chaposky's uh, postulated on Twitter today that th- this is the year, year you don't have to decide between going to WWDC and getting that new Mac, right? So, right, right. Cause it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, an inexpensive year from that point of view for a lot of, a lot of developers who would normally go to these kind of things. So what else you got for the Android developer folks? Um, Google IO went online only and then said, no, we're just kidding. It's canceled this year. And then there's mm. a follow-up update in that the Android 11 public beta is going to launch June 3rd with a live stream. So that's delayed a little bit by a month as Google has presumably encountered, uh, you know, some slowdown related to the pandemic and, and working mm. remotely on a dime. Um, but that does mean... Well, are they that, normally like a week before WWDC sort of thing or two weeks before? I forget where in May they, they end up having the oh, public May, okay. beta, but now it's slipping to June and they're doing a live stream where they're going to cover... Uh, like the Android section of Google IO is what it sounds like. So that is right. oh, okay. 11 a.m. Eastern on June 3rd on the mm. interwebs. Interesting, right? Carrying on. Rolling right along that, and this will lead into the very next uh, topic, and that is um, blog post by Danielle or Daniel Bogo, uh, swiftandpizza.com, talking about their experience with the... Um, Supporting accessibility in your apps invite experience that we mentioned an episode or two ago that some folks were fortunate enough to get invited and were lucky enough to, to get oh, an right. attend. Okay. Yeah. And cool. this person wrote a blog post about their experience and their speculation that maybe this is a, a trial run and what we can expect to have for WWDC. So besides the sort of ticketing and getting connected problems, um, it was notable to me that to join the event, they had to install the Cisco WebEx extension for Safari. Hmm. which is uh, interesting. And they had sort of two main columns on the screen. The the larger on the left was the session screen, like the video and everything. And then the smaller on the right had the list of participants and a small box at the bottom for chatting. So it sounds like pretty straightforward vanilla WebEx setup from from my usage of it. And they said that the the session was like uh, normal Apple Talk sessions. Host presents a topic, uh, but there's some twists and that there's a Q&A session that took place during the last session and Apple engineers are present and ready to answer. It's written a little weirdly, but as I reread it, I think what they meant is in the Q&A part of the panel, you could ask questions live while the talk was going on. So right? wait, uh, written. Your, your experience with WebEx is you can have a chat on the side? 
Yes. Really? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. Hmm. I'll have to check that out. I don't think we have, maybe we don't have that function turned on for us, but... Uh, Could be. Uh, a lot of those enterprise-y uh, video conferencing tools have tons of fiddly features that enterprises can choose to enable and disable. Yeah, I think, well, in, in, I mean, our WebEx is, is essentially what we used to use. I mean, we're, distrib- we're a distributed team anyway, but like in offices normally, right? And you'll get like the odd person working from home one or two days a week, right? Um, so most of the time we're, in, we're crammed into a boardroom, but there are people dialing in from other parts of the country, right? So I think they've got our sort of very, very vanilla sort of screen sharing kind of point of view with our WebEx. So that may be why they don't have that turned on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's quite different on Windows than it is on Mac. And I find on, I find on the iPad, it's the best experience I've seen so far for WebEx. But anywho, all right, what's next? Yeah. Ooh, well, look. before we before we leave yeah. here, I'll, I'll cover the section about the labs in one-on-one. And that's oh, yeah, right. what they yeah. talked about. Um, uh, I'll just read this paragraph here. It says, I would say the Q&A covered by the Apple engineers during the live event can be compared to a proper lab session with the possibility to book private one-on-one video sessions. This is very cool because they were able to answer any question very quickly, providing good solutions or material to solve any problem. On one hand, I really like this idea. On the other, I found it distracting because it moved my attention away from the live session to the Q&A session. Or oh, it was during, during the talk. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that yeah, would be so. weird. Interesting. I didn't read his post, but did, did he say he's been to a WWDC before? Like, I was able to compare the experience or no? Uh, what did they say at the beginning? Um, I'd like to say all the Apple technical events I've been invited in the past were in-house or organized in different locations. So for me, this online event was a completely new experience. Right, right. Gotcha. Okay. So possibly a, a sneak preview of what WWDC might be like. So speaking of the Worldwide Developer Conference. Yeah. So Apple released the official news. So we know an exact date. Yet, uh, WWDC is going to be June 22nd. Well, that's two weeks late, too. Interesting that it is a, a good two weeks than normal and mm-hmm. at a minimum one week later than the latest mid-June that they've done it occasionally. Okay. They have to edit a lot more videos before it starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, apparently now, um, and you'll definitely have to hurry when this episode comes out, through 11.59 p.m. Pacific on May 17th, you can submit your uh, Swift, what do they call it? Uh, Swift Student Challenge, mm-hmm. where um, you submit like a playground that does cool things that can be experienced within three minutes and experienced um, through uh, an iOS device. And uh, people who are selected will get uh, some swag. I think it was a, a jacket and uh, pins of some sort. Right. So Special May 17th, stuff. that doesn't give them a lot of time, really. Like, is it normally that quick I don't things turned around? Oh, I feel like they had a little bit more time when they were yeah. asked to create apps and maybe that's why they limited to playground to sort of well, it was playgrounds last year too it was, it's been it was apps for for a number of years but then i think it's been playground since oh really oh okay yeah okay. I, have, I have a couple of friends who who did this and, and got you know selected and blah 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 hmm, i can ask them what they remember maybe right. for a follow-up yeah and we've got the uh the the symbols of, of this year's uh, as there's usually sort of the uh, criminology sort of trying to figure out mm-hmm. the intent it's it's i think fairly obvious here. They use the um, Memoji style of folks uh, all sitting in front of MacBook Pros or at least MacBooks. Yeah. Presumably watching the event. Um, 
that seems like they mightily stole your face, Tim, based on the, the one that we saw, the one that Tammy yeah. pointed out to us. Yeah. Either me or Johnny Depp, I don't know. <laughs> but not very inclusive. No, amongst all of them that Tammy had found, no, none with uh, spiky hairdos. So really, I'm personally disappointed. Or older guys with no hair. Yeah. Hmm. Who are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I have a mirror here too, Mark. This <laughs> FYI. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, one more we got from you, Jaime. Yeah, this one is on the, the weirder side of things. So Inkscape has reached 1.0 status after many, many years. Uh, that is a vector-based program for macOS that I had sort of forgotten about until I saw this news come across the desk and say, oh, that's right. I remember having to do some vector stuff pretty early on when I you know, switched to the Mac uh, mm-hmm. crowd. And I was like, well, what, what do people use for, for vectors? You know, obviously. Adobe Illustrator. Visio. Well, I didn't want to go that deep oh. into it, right? I was like, all right, well, you know, you'd use Visio or, you know, Adobe Photoshop or Illustrator on Windows. Yeah. There's open source stuff like, you know, uh, the GIMP and others are like, well, well, what do you use? That's for raster. What do you use for vectors? And somebody said, oh, go down, like, download Inkscape. And it was like, cobble these pieces together and, and run it and call it good. And it has been, what did I write in the notes here? It has been over 16 years from initial release wow. of uh, the beta or alpha to 1.0. So is this a paid program or is it free? I believe it is free and open source. Wow. Yeah, this looks pretty cool looking at it now. I've never heard of this before, actually. Yeah, I don't know. It looks like it's free. It's open source. Long awaited 1.0. Yeah, I don't know who yeah. I've it, the lost it to the mist of time who, who recommended it to me, but somebody did. And hmm. thank you, person. And uh, now it has gone from, you know, this to my eyes, like, oh, it's it's a zero point something. All right. I guess it's yeah. what people on the Mac use. And here it is many years later official yeah and it says it's open it. source under gpl wow and i'd never hmm. heard of it before yeah I've been I'm a big, to time, big time vector guy myself yeah i miss i'm really missing illustrator I'm, i've not got the uh adobe thing going right now I, you know i can crank it open but it's still cs6 and it hobbles along on catalina you know barely able to do like i only go in there and do short things and i've I got the affinity um designer uh which is their their equivalent right but i haven't really spent much time in it so i have to check this out it'd be ipad would be really co- cool but i guess we you know, can't hope for everything, right? Linux, uh, Windows, and Mac OS. Nice. Well, it is open source. You could have a shot at uh, doing a build for the iPad. I could be the guy. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Cool. All right. I'll have to check it's that out. It's too bad that Catalyst doesn't work in the opposite direction, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just pack them up and make them available just get that on the iPad 68K OS. emulator running on, uh, <laughs> on the iPad, right? There is that emulator that runs at Mac, at Mac emulator that runs on... Uh, like I've, got, I've got like a Mac 2 environment running on my, my iPad now. I play with from time to time. And now that I've got the keyboard and the mouse, that works really well too. Alrighty. So the big news, this is something I personally have been waiting for for a long, well, for a pretty, pretty long time is, uh, again, the MacBook Pro 13 for 2020 just came out, um, with an announcement about two, three days ago, um, from Apple. And, um, it's interesting. Uh, the, I've got a couple of links here and I, and I really, these are sort of stealth picks for me because I definitely think that people should take, uh, take them for a spin. Um, they're not that long, but, uh, so Renny Ritchie, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks has started up a new independent uh, vlog and uh he's done two two deep dives on the macbooks so because there's there's this the thing about it is the macbooks is i mean we've got the macbook like plain old macbook right and it's and it's pretty snappy and whatever we've got the macbook airline which is sort of the the low-end light model arguably light because it's it's uh they're they're comparable in terms of size between the macbook air and the macbook pro 13 they're the footprint's the same size i'm i'm a huge 
MacBook Air user from way back when, and I'm moving into, I've just actually uh, purchased a MacBook Pro 13 2020 version because I looked at them last year when they came out, uh, when, the, when the new MacBook Air came out, and it wasn't compelling enough for me to buy a MacBook Air because I want, I do want the touch bar, believe it or not, but I also want a touch ID and, you know, I, and I wanted to have, and I was waiting for this new keyboard. So I got everything I wanted on that list. But the two videos that I'm being around the bush on are, so the first one is a comparison between the low-end MacBook Pro 13 and the high-end MacBook Pro 13. And and the second video was a comparison between the MacBook Pro 13 and the MacBook Air. Because depending on how you configure them, right, you can, you can, you can end up spending more money on a MacBook Air than you would on a low-end MacBook Pro 13. Or you could go all out and, and get the, the MacBook Pro 13. Again, if you want to compare it like in terms of full, like, you know, 64 gigs of RAM and, and things like four terabytes of, of space, then you need to get it. You need to go with the MacBook Pro 16 inch because the 13 maxes out at 32 gigs of RAM and um, a two terabyte hard, no, four ter- three, four terabyte hard drive, I think, right? And um, the, but the thing about it is, it's like, like it, it, they're almost like two different machines because of, like, like I was saying last week with the VI and the VX or the, the you know, the low end version and the high end version, one only has two USB ports on one side, right? And it's over on the left hand side. Whereas the other one that I'm, the one I've ordered is just like the, the, the MacBook Pro 15s or 16s that has four USB Cs. And the, the processors are quite different. The low end Mac comes with the, 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 I think two year old, um, but it comes with a, with a, uh, an older processor, uh, whereas the, uh, the, the high end MacBook Pro 13 comes with a 10, 10, 10 generation. That's what I'm talking about. 10th generation Intel uh, processor, right? They're only quad cores again. And, you know, they're, they're not, they're, they're pro, but they're not super pro kind of things, but, uh, but they're still pretty good, I think. But the big news is, is the, the new, what they're calling, I'm doing our quotes, magic keyboard, which is, um, back to, uh, is this butterfly? I forget now which one we're talking about. The scissors, which was the one we had problems with, right? No, we got rid of butterfly. Went back to scissors. Right, so we're back to scissors. Yeah. So this is what they're calling magic keyboard. I guess it's very similar to the magic keyboard that they brought up for the iPad last week. Um, or two weeks ago, I guess. Yeah. So, so yeah, pretty cool. Um, the, you know, the 10th generation quad core Intel core processors, you know, tur- and this is the, the, the joke I put in the, in the notes here about turbo boost up from, from like three gigahertz to 4.1 gigahertz. Um, sidebar, the old turbo button, we talked about the turbo button on the old AT boxes back in the day, right? You remember those? Mm-hmm. And that button that would yeah. push, push for turbo. Maybe Greg, I think Greg mentioned about having used it before. Didn't the turbo button actually slow the computer down? Like, wasn't that the intention is you're actually turning turbo off? Do you remember? Or yeah. did you ever use a PC? I remember the switch being there, but I don't remember ever trying to <laughs> I don't press think anybody it. ever really used it, to be honest with you. I don't think anybody really used it. I don't think it, I never yeah. saw it make a difference myself. But anyway, I just thought it was comical that it was there. Yeah, and, and you're, you're right. Uh, I did have that uh, recollection and I looked it up on Wikipedia. It says turbo button that's contrary to what its name suggests. The turbo button was intended to let a computer run slower than the speed for which it had been designed. So it, oh, it had did. Okay, yeah. 4.77 megahertz Intel 8088s uh, programs, which relied on the CPU's frequency where timing were executing faster than intended, which meant games were unplayable. Oh, really? So With the turbo a, button out or in? So you need a turbo button to make it run at lower. a slower clock speed. Really? Yeah, yeah. Just it's kind of funny that way. Anyway, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, this one comes with the the high end one comes with the Intel Iris Plus graphics and delivers eighty percent faster performance. I'm reading now, uh, which lets it lets you do four K editing, faster rendering, smoother gameplay, and of course it supports the Pro Display XDR at full K six K resolution. If that's how you roll, that's kind of cool. You know, faster memory, the the 
3,733 megahertz uh, memory, right? Uh, 16 gigs of it becomes standard. Uh, you can kick up to 32 gig if you like. Um, what else can we say about this thing? The, the display is pretty cool. Um, there, I mean, it, again, it's, you know, if you want the, you, know, you get you get your, your P3 wide gamut, you're getting true tone, uh, 5,000 nits of brightness, which is a measure of, you know, like, I guess it's like, it used to be candles, but they don't use that anymore, I guess, eh? With LEDs. Uh, touch ID, of course. Um, you know, multi or the uh, tr- touch bar, and of course the T2 chip for um, the, you know the Terminator 2 chip for uh, security, um, and uh, fa- much faster SSD drives apparently. So yeah, definitely. I, I you know took the time to listen to or, or uh, listen to the comparison that um, Rene Richie did for us, which is great. So yeah, I definitely recommend that. Have you guys looked at these at all? Oh, and the ch- the short story. Well, we can go around the table and see what people are interested in this as well, right? So starting at 12.99 US is the low end model. Um, Eleven ninety nine if you're in education, but yeah. But I mean, I think if you're the configurations, I think base configuration is five no two fifty six two fifty six right. So there's a two fifty six model base, five twelve base, and a one terabyte base for the for what we're calling the high end version of this baby. There you go. So I mean, I'll start with the round table myself. I ordered one almost as soon as I could. I think day the day it was announced, I ordered one. So because I've been waiting for this guy for a while. This is my uh, my upgrade from my twenty thirteen MacBook Air, uh, which I had. Maxed out, so I went with um, thir- I went didn't go with 32 gigs of RAM. I went with 16 gigs of RAM because I'm currently um, seem to be okay with eight on my uh, my current device. And uh, I did go with the two terabyte option. I debated going because I currently have 512 and I'm constantly looking for for space. Like you know maybe a couple of months every couple of months I'm looking to clean things out. Um, I'm a little nervous about having a two terabyte drive uh, for backing up if if I fill it up, you know, because then I need to basically make sure I have enough space on on a external backup mechanism to, to back up that much data in case of disasters. And I've had, you know, I've had my SSD drive die on my MacBook 13 in the time that I had it. And I've seen other, you know, disasters and stuff like that over time. Um, yes, I did pull the trigger on app on Apple Care. As I, you know, as you guys know, I'm a huge fan of Apple Care. It's now Apple Care Plus, which is a little disconcerting because it's not quite as, as fancy as the original Apple Care program. So I'm not sure what the limitations of that are, but yeah, so that's what I'm, I've ordered it and I think it's coming in a couple of weeks. So there you go. Oh, and I, I did get the i7 processor. I forgot to mention that. The choices were i5 and i7? Yeah, it comes with i5. Yep. Yeah, and then you can kick up to i7 for 250 bucks Canadian. And did the videos go into the performance difference between the two? Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the one the one video specifically talks about MacBook versus MacBook, right? Sort of like what it, what the low-end one gets you versus what the high-end one gets you and, and the sort of trade-offs between the two of them. Like, things like the, you know, the two USBs versus four and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the Eighth generation in the eighth generation i5 in the low end version, but the tenth generation Intel processor in the high end versions, right? So there's a 512k model and a one terabyte model with the, with the faster uh, faster newer generation, right? So that's that's a huge difference, really. You know, um, the MacBook Air, for example, I think it has the newer gener- newer generation than the the MacBook Pro. I'm just going to pull up um, Apple's comparison page here. You guys can do the same if you like. Okay, compare. Let's do that. So we'll compare a yeah so the four port versus a two port and we'll pull up the macbook air yeah macbook air so, yeah so all four cores um it's funny it doesn't say the, the the difference in the speed of the processors uh oh the low-end macbook only goes up to 16 gig whereas the uh, the um four port will go up to 32 gig yeah the max is out at four gig four terabyte on the, the four port two terabytes on the two uh, two port uh touch id and touch bar for the two macbook pros yeah here it is here so the processor is 
the um, 1.4 gigahertz or 1.7 gigahertz i7 on the the two port version, but 2.0 and 2.3 on the i7 i7 on the the four port version. So that's quite a bit of difference. Um, the gra- there's a slight difference in the graphics cards, right? The mm-hmm. looks like the MacBook Air and the and the MacBook Pro i and four port have the same video card. But yeah, it's quite a bit of. Um, Is this a typo? I'm looking on Apple's comparison page, and it says mm-hmm. for the high end one, it says 2.0 gigahertz quad core tenth generation Intel Core i5 processor. Yeah, not i7. They said Sorry, it was i7. That? No, i7 is an upgrade option. Oh, it's an upgrade option. Gotcha. Yeah, but the, ba- the base is i5. Yeah. So there's three base models. Oh, just based on storage and yeah, ports. ports. Well, the processor too, right? That's the one. The one difference, yeah. right? Yeah. And then uh, let's see, scrolling down to but between the Air and the MacBook, all of the MacBook Pros, they all pretty much have the same 13 and a third inch LED backlit with IPS technology. They're all Retina displays. They're all two 2560 by 1600 pixels. They're all 500 nits of brightness. Sorry, the MacBook Air is only 400 nits. Um, wide color P3 on the, the MacBook Pro 13, but uh, full standard color on the on the um, MacBook Air. So that's another difference too. Just a slight difference in the screen uh, camera range, right? Crappy um, crappy webcam on the front facing camera to be expected. Oh, and the the uh, speaker sound is better on the uh, on the four port one. It has better better microphones, better speakers, I should say. And um, do- they all support Dolby Atmos as of Catalina, right? Uh, yeah. And they have a headphone jack, Mark. Hmm. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you'd asked panel stuff. Um, I was not in the market for this because mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, not not recently we just now. Got, but yeah, rec- yeah, well, recently. Yeah. It's still got the new car smell, right, for yeah. the, the MacBook 16-inch that I have. But even if I didn't have that, um, I've just preferred the, the bigger screen size for my tastes on yeah. the larger 15, now 16. Um, so this 13 wouldn't have been for me but I think it sounds like a pretty solid one for folks who do like right. that size. Right. Yeah, this, there's a difference in, in um, power, too, that the, the MacBook Air uh, run, claims to run 11 hours of wireless web, whereas the... Um, what's wireless? Oh, wireless web. <laughs> and then 10 hours on the, the MacBook Pro 13 batteries. Um, and then, yeah, playback on videos. Uh, the power supply is, is um, smaller on the uh, MacBook Airs as well, 30 watts versus 61 watts for the, the uh, Pro guys, so... Yeah, so I just have to get you know, I just have to get the Pro XDR monitor now, I guess, right? Now that I can drive one, <laughs> it's the only way to be sure that the the investment was worth it, right? Just gotta gotta yeah. put that to the max. Yeah. Well, the the only thing that I compromised on was was well, no, I didn't go to four terabytes of storage. I went to two terabytes, and I didn't go thirty two gigs of RAM. But uh, in Ray Richie's um, uh, report, he talked about the SSD drives being almost as the swap is almost as fast as RAM. Almost was his comment. So uh, which is kind of i guess kind of good right so yeah so i'm happy about it i think it's a good good thing what do you guys think i think it's nice that they've taken the same approach of having the the physical escape key the um which gets all the attention but let's not forget that there's also the modified or i should say back to the old school arrow t-shape inverted t-shape arrow keys right. which is nice definitely makes it easier to touch type and maneuver um so i don't know if you guys know but like did you not know that command period works like escape it's news to me is that a, is that a pick of the week tip of the week because I yeah, no, no I was, I was, I was I, I'd forgotten about it. Command period was what I used to use 
used a long time ago before Escape, but um, but I had read somewhere that Command Period works the same as, as Escape. Maybe not in every program, right? But uh, and to be honest, with you, I, I've got the Touch Bar, and I and I you know most apps I have 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 the virtual Escape key, and it, it works just like a real Escape key, except it's flat. It's like it has no haptic. That's another thing too. No haptic feedback on the on the Touch Bar was one of the comments that Rene made about the uh, the difference. And as yeah. some folks have found, if your Mac freezes, it tends to freeze the Touch Bar software, which means you cannot oh, really? mm. escape out of things without whatever oh, okay. alternative that they ended up Googling on some other device. The hardware <laughs> interrupts tend to be a little bit more reliable than the software crashing. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting, you know, like, I, like I've had, I have the 15-inch uh, MacBook Pros. Um, I've had them for a few years at work, and I have two of them here now, and uh, I mean, they have their foibles, too. Um, I mean, honestly, I, to be honest, I'm, you know, I have personally had one of the keyboards have to go in for service, but um, yeah, I've, n- I've not had a problem with the keyboards myself. I, you know, I don't find, I mean, I'm, you know, I haven't really found uh, any reason to be hating about them, right? You know, I even, like, I use a variety of keyboards here at home. I still have the, you know, right now in front of me, I have the aluminum, you know, wired extended keyboard from back in the day. I don't even know if it has a name on the bottom of it. You know, the one that came with the iMacs back in the day, right? That's the one I use, you know, with the lozenge keys, like our logo. Uh, in fact, our logo was shot with this keyboard. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know, and and I have the same keys on my MacBook 13, right? And uh, and I have like I have my different keys for the Logitech and and yeah, for, and, and the the funny little butterfly switches or sorry, which one is it? Scissor switches? Scissor switches are the bad ones. I'm lost. Tra- I lost. Tra- no, but but butterflies in your stomach and butterflies in your keyboard are bad. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So that's a good way to remember it. Thanks, honey. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but to be honest with you, I really hadn't I really hadn't noticed a difference between them, right? So mind you, I'm not. Not really eating Cheetos on my my desk as well, or, or working in, on the beach. Anyway, that's my uh, my thoughts on the MacBook Pro 13. I mean, like for me, it was like more than Insta buy. Take my money, please. You know, I, well, I, I, I think I told you guys on on that my credit card got whammied by somebody, and so like I had to sit there for a minute and go, how am I supposed to buy my MacBook Pro now? <laughs> I did find a way, but yeah, that was that was annoying. <laughs> I have my my card compromised. Anywho, all right, do we move on to the next story here? Yeah, this one is. A nifty prototype of uh, so they're they're calling it AR cut and paste and really oh, it's copy yeah, I saw and this. paste yeah. and this won't translate too well to an audio only medium like a podcast but imagine yeah. that this has been put together by Cyril Diagne, um who has created this software that you can use uh, AR on your device to capture things around you like he captures uh, a potted plant um, I think a mannequin wearing some sort of clothing and then is able to move the phone to be looking at a document where they can paste these items into the document. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he mentions here, it's, you know, it's, it's not very optimized code. It's all there uh, on GitHub for folks to improve it, but I'm interested in it from a conceptual standpoint, because i really expect that we'll continue to see further AR, um, AR kit, augmented reality type stuff be added this WWC come June. What did I just say? 22nd. And so this is the sort of thing that I think can spur more innovation. People thinking about, well, what cool things could you do with AR beyond the sort of prototypical, hey, we're Ikea and you can choose furniture and see how it fits in your actual living room. Like this one is like, oh, wow, it's such a good idea to me. They're like, wow, that seems really obvious in retrospect. That, yeah, you should be able to just cut and paste stuff or copy and paste stuff from the real world and put it into documents. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it looks amazing. I, I kind of wondered, like, is it is this for real? Like, is this, can you really get this to do this, right? So 
I think as a concept, it looks great. But uh, yeah, I'd wondered that myself. Um, noticed that it was taking a little while, which made me think, oh, it's probably real because you would you would cut the interaction for time if you were baking it. Um, yeah. So it, it seems it seems nifty. I'm not saying it's the the killer app by any means for AR, but this is the sort of thing that I like seeing out there in the developer community where people are thinking about, well, given this tool or this framework that we've been given, what cool things could we do? Yeah. So in my public with my publishing hat on, right? I mean, I look at this kind of tool and, and, you know, this is like instant close cutting of this, this potted plant. I mean, that that's amazing in itself, right? Like that would be a product people would buy. Um, never mind you being able to paste it right into your, into your document, right? That's, that's a pretty cool looking thing too, right? So, yeah, I mean, this is, and this is sort of the, the dream of, of most marketing, you know, uh, publishing people, right? To be able to just take a product and put it onto a printed page or website or whatever in instantaneously, this would be like, you know, it'd be great. So that's why I kind of look at it with a bit of skepticism, you know, um, from a, with the publishing sort of eye, but yeah, looks pretty, looks pretty amazing otherwise like as a proof of concept. All right, cool. What's next? Next couple of links are related to the exposure notification system, formerly nice. known as contact tracing stuff. So Apple and Google have shown screenshots of what a public health authority app might look like that would use the framework. And mm-hmm. in a show me to code moment, we have a link on developer.apple.com uh, sample code about building an app to notify users of COVID-19 exposure. Nice. And he talks about how the authentication, uh, or sorry, I should say authorization for the framework works and about storing data and doing other interesting things. Very similar. Like if it was just a regular framework that you and I would, would work with. Right. Um, I don't remember if this article mentioned it, but I do believe that each country will get, Oh, there we go. It, it does say, uh, both Google and Apple plan to restrict access to a single app per country, um, in an effort to avoid fragmentation, uh, um, yeah. meaning it will come from your government authority or their delegate of some sort, depending on your, your situation. That's so you don't have like, Hey, here's the top 10 apps for exposure track. Is like, well, okay. That's kind of defeating the purpose of getting everybody on a common platform to share the data more widely. Well, yeah. I mean, then that's just the thing. Like what's the point of having 200 people in one group and 400 people in another group and they don't meet in the middle. I kind of wondered if, if Apple was going to be like the central repository for reporting, right? Like Apple and Google. And that's how the, all, all of these various fragmented apps would sort of share up to the same spot, same API or something like that. Right. But there is no central location. That's, that's kind of the whole. I, I don't mean, I don't mean by say, saying location. I mean like having a single API where all of the data would be consolidated, like not, not so much like that you in San Jose were exposed, but that, you know, this, a device with this ID was next to your device with that ID kind of thing, right? As we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, I kind of thought that that would all roll up to like one, like, yeah, maybe one central one central database, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or or like a clearinghouse of here are things that have been seen yeah. and the different apps to connect to. Yeah, it, it yeah. seems like they've gone the, the different route of, um, and again, because Apple and Google control their respective app stores, this um, is sort of the thing that, that they and only they can do. And presumably they've talked to enough of the uh, government authorities around the world to make sure that that's sort of the way they wanted to roll it and not have like, oh, uh, here's five different ones that are the official one for your country. Like, well, no, it's better to have the one. And they can ensure that rather than wondering like, well, how do you know which one's the official? It's like, well, it's it's the one that you'd probably get from your .gov equivalent site that links to the app stores. Right, right. So sort of on a simple sort of sidebar-y sort of semi-pick thing too, 
um, I saw an article by by Mohammed Azam um, talking about how to write a um, an app doing the same sort of thing. And I thought initially I thought maybe he you know was talking about using this this API as well. But but what was interesting though was he he's actually um, written an app and it's very quick to write it um, again using model view model model view view model and um, Swift UI and and combine. Um, but he's found this API in the states that lists all of the um, exposures and um, hospitalizations and deaths and things like that by state. And he's actually written this app that where you can have like a sort of a list view or table view that shows, you know, all of the, the population and, and the number of people that have been affected and the number of people who have died and that kind of stuff. And and it's a pretty cool thing. But, but it's interesting that there's already these APIs out there where you can go and get the government stats from. Um, and of course, I went through the whole exercise of doing it and I went, oh, this is great for the United States. <laughs> you know, uh, so I poked around a bit and I found that there actually is a Canadian site. I'll link these two uh, API sources in in the show notes, but I did find one for the Canadian sites, and uh, and it's a little different. I mean, obviously it's a different API. Um, the U.S. one, you get all of the you know the state and exposure information in one one feed from the JSON. Um, on the Canadian one, you can get you know get you get a summary, you get reports, um, you get you know things like GDP and and population and that kind of stuff as well. But you have to you'd have to make multiple calls to sort of consolidate and make the information you want to. Maybe use a, a, a middle surface or some sort of surface service in the middle to sort of gather that and maybe feed it to your device. But interesting to go through the exercise of, again, once again, another good exercise of learning to do Swift UI with, with uh, Combine. And of course, after I had done that that uh, video from Scott Gardner a couple of weeks ago or last week, um, I was already up to speed on how to build this thing. So it was super easy for me to go in and change the API and change the model to work with, with, uh, with the Canadian side. So the COVID-19 tracker dash API was the public API for one, but that's a Canadian one. So it's uh, API COVID-19 tracker.ca and the American one was, oh, COVIDtracking.com has an API for the people in the US. That's kind of cool. So COVIDtracking.com and COVID-19, whatever I just said for Canadian dudes. All right. That's, uh, yeah, I guess we're at the picks section of our show, right? Indeed we are. Yeah. All right. So Jaime, what's your pick? My pick uh, just leans into the moment and says, you know what? It's the Apple developer site for WWDC 2020, developer.apple.com slash WWDC20. Go there, get yourself prepared, bookmark, be prepared to be amazed on June 22nd. So did you notice that every time you go to that site, you get a different set of emojis? I was, and now I seem to not be. I noticed that before. It doesn't seem to be changing for me anymore. Yeah, I think think once you've been, like, I think maybe cookiesism or something, but yeah, because a uh, friend of the show, Ish, had mentioned that he was amazed that, uh, and they're all diverse uh, characters. You know, there's uh, persons of color and, and, you know, Asian people and, you know, people with piercings and guys with orange hair and, you know, red hats. And I don't know, I'm getting a, I'm getting a dude in the front right now with a red baseball cap on. and I'm getting that one, too. A couple of ladies on the side and two orange-haired folks on the edge there. Oh, wait a minute. So, for me, the guy in the red cap is in the middle. Yeah. There's a woman on his left, but there's a guy yeah. With a, a white mustache and white hair on his right. Yeah, see, that's different, right? Let me refresh. 
That's interesting. Yeah, if you, if you hit refresh, you get a different set of dudes. Yeah, just did. Yeah, actually, the the guy in the red cap and the woman next to him on the left are the same. But now there's a woman with a with a yeah. double earring on the and purplish hair, purplish reddish hair. One guy with, B, with Justin Bieber hair could be Jaime on a bad day. <laughs> so it seems like yeah, every time you switch it. There I am. Uh, I found me. Yeah. That's not me. He's got freckles with the fedora on. That's what what uh, Tammy's commenting on. Yeah. So you know we didn't talk about Jaime. It was the developer app's been updated. That sounds you like know. pick of the week material to me. Yeah. So well, this this is the uh, and the developer app just takes you to the same URL. Um, surprisingly, surprise, surprise. But uh, yeah, we, what used to be known as the WWDC app that you would get when you went to WWDC. Um, at the first year I went, I think it was like a, um, you had to have a. It was almost like a flight check kind of thing or a hockey app maybe. Um, but then now, last couple of years, it's been the actual app for the show, and and there's an app Apple TV version, so you can watch the the talks live. Um, yeah, so you can download you can download today the uh, or as of a couple of days ago, you can download the the, de- the developer app. It's now called on on uh, the App Store and uh, sign up for notifications and news and that kind of stuff. So keep yourself informed as as Apple pushes out updates for it. That's yeah, I guess that's a pick for for me, I guess as well. Definitely useful once the uh, once the keynote has occurred. I think is when they release the actual for real Z schedule that has all of the TBD and you won't believe what this is stuff on there. So you can bookmark and remind yourself and very quickly find a filtered list. That's one of the nice parts about going through the app versus just bookmarking the main page and then looking at the schedule yourself. So who's going to be the band at the bash this year? Ooh, hmm? that's a <laughs> speculation time is to, to who? And is it just going to be some kind of someone doing a live stream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but there'll be social distancing, won't they? Like they like they'll be like the Stones and doing that social distancing song that they did. Yeah, have you seen? Um, I, I think it was not only the Stones, but a whole other sets of bands that have been doing stuff on yeah, um, yeah. like the weekends on the various channels. That if people have found you know, content to put on the on the airwaves and keep us all going insane in this uh, quarantined world. Yeah, my friend uh, George Stromalopoulos did a uh, hosted a Canadian sort of house party and went around and uh, they were I think. They were pre pre recorded, but yeah, people like uh, famous band people either joining remotely and putting together you know uh, s- songs together, like Bare Naked Ladies played together. But there were four different locations. Um, uh, just down the street from me is Jim Cuddy, and he's played to, played with his two sons. You know, they played a couple of couple of bl- uh, blue rodeo songs. Um, but yeah, it's like you know most of the Canadian musicians around were doing that. And I think yeah, Lady Gaga had one. She hosted one as well, sort of an, an evening of song and frivolity. Right, so, cool. Every- Every Saturday night, Jorma Kaukonen does one. Who's that? Yeah, most people have no idea and don't care. But he is a guitarist <laughs> for uh, for Jefferson Airplane and Hot Tuna. Oh, okay. And cool. he does a kind of a solo mm. acoustic thing once once a week. He's been doing it. I think he's done it five times now. Cool. Yeah, I think it wasn't a lack of care. It was ignorance on my part of being unaware. Yeah. Of this person <laughs> <doing stuff. laughs> it's solo acoustic blues. If you're into that, you'll like this. Nice. Cool. All right. So my pick this week is, and I just found this actually just uh, today, sort of hot off the presses. Um, came out a couple of days ago, on, and about a, I stumbled across it on LinkedIn yesterday, and I just got around to looking at it today. But it's testing Swift UI views. And um, according to the article here, there's a couple of, it digs a, a bit deeper than just this article, but um, according to the article, he talks about um, the author who is um, Vadim Blavin. So the, he says in, in the article that, uh, that Apple, when it comes to testing Swift UI, it's basically declarative UI and all that kind of stuff. Um, views are built on the fly and, and you know, they, they, they automatically adapt to the various devices. But 
how do you test these things? So he was talking about how Apple suggested, and that's Apple suggests just you know visually looking at you know each each uh, representation and seeing you know that you know it does, it matches what you thought it did, um, and he suggested that's prone to error because you know you may miss things and and uh, that kind of stuff. But but it's interesting about this is that apparently Swift has a, a facility in it called Dump. I don't know if you guys know about Dump, but it it will dump out kind of like uh, I think we've done this before in, in Xcode debugging when you're looking at a view and you want to find. Back in the early auto layout days, we used to do this uh, recursive display, I think it's called, where you spit out uh, to the terminal all the sort of, uh, the, the basically the feed that is going to tell the display what to display. Um, so this idea of snapshotting is where this where this leads to. And um, so when you when you said, and the, the example they use in, in one of the videos that we'll talk about in a minute is, is using like an NS attributed string where you've got your string and then you add properties to it, right, to, to create the attribution, attributed part. Um, not a simple thing to do, but um, when you do the dump of that, you actually get to see what the sort of you know what the font call was, what the font size was, whether you know how it's aligned and that kind of stuff, and, and that's all printed out in, in in sort of readable text. And the idea is that you can write a you can write a you test with that, right? And uh, so you can write a test, get get the and say this is what I expect to get back from it, and then you know compare that against um, what you're actually getting in in a future run, right? So uh, in in, in um, he recommends this this uh, tool called uh, snapshot testing by Point Free Co. And Point Free Co. has a couple of interesting videos. I did some talks on it uh, in 2018, and the last talk, which is free, is sort of a summary of all the sort of things. And they they do a uh, walkthrough demo, probably 20 minutes long or so, uh, where they show how to how they how they use their tool to help you do um, this sort of snapshot testing. And what it does, what they do is they we've talked about this on the show before. There's a product called Bonmo, which is um, um, it means small thing in French, but uh, it means uh, it, it's a it's a way of it's a tool for creating attributed strings that you can use in your apps, right? And you do it by by adding tags to the string as opposed to having you know I, you guys are familiar with doing attributed strings, right? Yes, yes, yeah. So and they, they can be they can be hairy, right? Um, so in the example, they take this they take this mathematical quote by this this mathematician, and they they basically first of all they put this into this into their tool, and what they do is is they they set up some so, you know they set up some fonts, like they say, American Typewriter 17, and um, for the whole string, right? Then, then they write a test that says, okay, I'm expecting to get in this dump, this this output from Swift or from from Xcode, um, what the attributions are, and then they can write a test against that. And he shows how to, how, to, how you can do that with XC tests, right? Like traditional testing to see what it was. But like so, but if you're if you're creating a font attribution, then maybe a, a line height attribution. Well, line height you really can't get from the string because that's something that's not sort of done at runtime. So uh, the snapshot testing tool lets them lets them uh, create a snapshot of it, and it's two ways it comes out. It comes out using this dump where you get this textual representation of it, but they've also built in this this way of rendering an image, right? So you can take this the attributed string properties. You know, maybe you make part of the part of the string bold, another part you might make it blue, uppercase, lowercase, whatever. Um, and then when you create the snapshot, it'll actually pr- it'll actually create a, a PNG for you in your in your results folder. So you get the dump, and you can 
get the result and you can compare those with a test. So you can visually look at it, but you can also compare the dump and see see whether or not your your test passes or fails, right? And so I recommend it. It's an interesting interesting way of testing. And so because I mean the thing about it is like we're looking at SwiftUI views, which um, you know there isn't really a view hierarchy. I, I don't think that we can sort of look at and you know um, how it's going to render out. It's going to be different based on the device and and so on and so forth, right? But uh, just an interesting way, like how do you test something that that doesn't exist until you actually run it, right? Makes sense. I can see what he's going for. Um, I have seen snapshot testing before. There, mm-hmm. there were other tools that did this. Started by Facebook Square, taken mm-hmm. over by Uber. I can't remember how that ended up happening. And um, it's definitely not like a silver bullet. There, I'm glad nope. that it, this talks about a lot of the, the disadvantages and, and the pain that you can go through. But I think when you have the right setup, it, it seems like it absolutely makes sense when you actually do care about Pixel Perfect. Well, pixel close. I mean, like, think, that's the thing is, like, we're not we're not doing pixel perfect um, design with with uh, Swift UI at all, right? We're we're sort of moving more towards a sort of generic, you know, declarative style that Apple's wanted to do with with auto layout for the last few years, right? Um, you, I mean, you do in Swift UI, you do render certain things in frames, like you do say, okay, here's the frame that contains this object, and it's and it's yay by yay, and and uh, you you put your label or whatever it into it. Um, there is that. Sort of convention in Swift, but you're generally sort of saying like it's centered or it's like, you know, it's got padding or spacing, but you don't, you can specify what the spacing is. You can specify what the padding is, but generally you don't have to, right? So, um, so how do you proof that? I mean, how do you test it, right? Because that's where this this uh, this approach comes from. Yeah, I haven't been on a team that has actually decided to go ahead and use this. Right. Um, so some of my, my, my thoughts about it are theoretical. Uh, Mark, have you been on any teams that have done stuff like this? I have not, no. But I, yeah, I think it was Facebook that famously used to do this kind of stuff where they would mm-hmm. where they would compare against PNGs or, or images of some sort. Mm-hmm. No, it's not just PNGs. It's also well, like right, the, dump, right. the dump, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So Sometimes folks use it as like a, a two-for-one option where if you were uh, localizing in a lot of different languages and you needed app store images, you just go in and dig up the ones that were generated as part of your test build. Yeah. So yeah. that was kind of a neat idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can do the same thing with, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, uh, Fastlane does a thing like that for the app store images, right? Like where you want it, if you wanted to basically, you know, generate images on the fly for the various different sizes. Like, you know, now when you go to publish an app, you have to provide different snapshots of uh, different screenshots at different sizes sort of a similar idea right um and with our with automating te- automated testing or auto- automation testing what do you call that automating testing um we have you know we, we write scripts that basically are like recipes that run through the app and do the clicks and all that kind of stuff and do the automation to right, sort of, ui automation yeah, yeah yeah so they use they do that and and um sometimes they take snapshots at certain points in time and and uh and compare those to what what they expect to see right but i mean i mean qa for for in our experience is, is is pretty much a manual process, right? Um, you, you're basically given you give them a screenshot of what you what they expect to see, and then they run through the app. And they, like I said, they do all these crazy things that n- you never think anybody would think to do, but they, they go ahead and do those things, right? right? Well, that's always the problem with automated testing is is you're testing the stuff that you know works, right? Right. right. And and there is some value to that, of course. If for regression testing, you're you're you want to make sure that stuff that the stuff that worked before still works. So right, if you have right. an automated test for everything that worked before, then then you can test that nothing has regressed. But but it really it doesn't test the things that no one thought of writing a test for. 
Right. 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 <laughs> and so yeah. manual testing is still pretty important for that kind of yeah, stuff. For sure. For sure. For sure. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting, interesting put, mm-hmm. idea to put this out there in terms of something, another way to look at, look at testing beyond the UI testing that we have now in, in Xcode as well as the, as well as the, because uh, UI testing does the same sort of thing. If I'm not mistaken, you, you basically run it and do a screenshot as you go um, and then compare that to what you, what you expected to see from a previous run or whatever. Yeah. Right. I think I dated myself a little bit ago by saying UI automation, UI, auto, uh, UI automation, right? That's the old, yeah. old, old one. It's now X a UI test. Oh, right. Isn't it? <laughs> right. UI automation for, yeah. for those who don't know is the old JavaScript based testing stuff that you could write that would run in the instruments app. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. It had a whole, yep. whole test suite of stuff that would do that. And, um, I remember that, that, that the problem with running UI automation that way and in some respects, the XCUI stuff is that it can be slower than sort of like unit tests that you would be used to since you're running mm-hmm. the full app and then poking buttons that you just replace the manual QA person testing that. And from what I'm reading here, this looks like it would be um, pretty fast because, I mean, I guess there's some IO components that may or may not slow things down, but uh, on an SSD, a two terabyte SSD drive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what else would we do with the drive? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I've got the, got the space. Yeah, it looks like this is pulling up different, you know, components and telling them, render yourself, okay, now let me compare against my uh, my base set versus, okay, let me pull up an entire app and then navigate to the here, navigate to there. Okay, that's the thing I wanted. Yeah. Yeah, so on point pointfree.co, they're the people that came up with this this tool. Um, they have a, a tour of, of like the, their free to, their free video is the the final sort of summation. That's they'll have a link in the show notes for that to show you how that works. But it's pretty cool. And today I learned that Turtle Rock is a real world place. Um, Turtle Rock. Turtle Rock is a neighborhood in the south part of Irvine, California. Because mm-hmm. to me, I thought, oh, this person's just having oh. fun. <laughs> Turtle Rock is a dungeon that shows up in many of the Legend of Zelda games, and that's what I thought oh, it was. Really? I thought this is a, a sly video game reference, and no, it presumably is a place this person has actually been to. No, so no, this this tur- that Turtle Rock example is from the Apple Swift UI tutorial. That oh, they, is that right? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you, that if you went sort through, of makes even more sense that given yeah, it came out Apple's of came out of WWDC. Yeah, WWDC when they when they introduced Swift UI, they had a whole slew of, uh, of courses on on how to do it, right? And Turtle Rock, they had this sort of national park uh, viewer thing. Yeah, that's what it. Walk reference comes from. That's where I recognized it from anyway. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, hi, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Mark, people get in touch with you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. Right. My name is Timitra, T I M M I T R A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me lurking around and doing tutorials and stuff. Um, yeah. So, until next time, we'll say bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. 
please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. I don't know if we talked about this on the show before, but I was reading a, I'm reading a book right now or listening to an audiobook called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Um, and it's not what I thought it was going to be, but it's it's a, it's all about, you know, it's kind of like they studied the way that thinking happens and whatever. And it's interesting because one example they said is if you put a pencil in your mouth, if you hold, hold a pencil in your mouth and then you go through some sort of experience, right? And then, or if you hold a pencil in your mouth like, like a cigarette, like you like pointy, like from the eraser in, what you do with your face is you actually make your face into either a smile or a frown. Right, so when you got it in pencil and sideways in your mouth, you you actually are forced to smile, and apparently that makes the experience you're going to go through more pleasant because you're already in a happy, smiley mood, yeah. right? Yeah. And if but if you're doing this, so I just imagine all these people like smoking up, lighting cigarettes with this, you know, pouty face on, right? <laughs> but it's interesting. That's book, of, actually. It's 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 a good book. Read it a long time uh, ago, but it was well, maybe you were telling me about it or something. Maybe, maybe. It came out. It came out of like I think I added it to my book reading list like months ago, and the interesting thing. About but the using the Toronto Library to get the audiobooks is you can go in and book a book, but you don't get it till like months later, right? Till it becomes available. I guess they have like five audiobook copies and they only lend them out one at a time, kind of thing, you know, in, or in batches of five or whatever. So it's kind of like going like like going and getting a physical book, right? You would think that because it's digital, they could just dole it out as many times as they want, but they're being like libraries about it. But it's sort of it's interesting that you know you kind of sort of have to pick it up and go run with it when you get it. Like I did that with that book. Um, Creative selection by the guy who worked for Apple, Ken Confita. And, and I didn't finish it in the time that I had to return it, you know, because I wasn't doing because it was the beginning of COVID and the lockdown and we didn't, I wasn't doing as much uh, walking around, right? So commuting. All right. So what else is exciting and happening behind besides sitting at home doing nothing? Not a whole lot, I think. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> you know, after a while, so you just kind of move into a stasis mode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or is it stasis? Stasis or stasis? Stasis. Well, it depends, it depends stasis if you're American or Canadian, right? So like you guys say, pro, we say process, you guys say process no we say process oh we say process i don't know and schedule and schedule we say schedule (laughs) (laughs) but i never really thought about i always thought of stasis but that seems weird when you say static compared to it why stasis and static because it'd be static and stasis or static and stasis this is like you know food and good that just don't make sense (laughs) yeah don't try and just try and figure out the american the english language you'll hurt yourself i'm trying to see what the internet says but it's making me watch an ad first okay here we go somehow we made it through the show without talking about elon musk's uh new child's name what like do i care why did you uh why did you give that a little quick search on the interweb for me and see what? why i might yeah bring it up looks like it is stasis he's gonna do that elon musk oh rhymes that's his partner right did they make it lab or something oh that reminds me devs wasn't on this week hmm or maybe it's on today have you guys been watching devs it's a really strange show I haven't. Me neither. Oh, XEA12? Am I reading that right? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Because, is it X? Zia? Is it 10? Like iPhone Zia? 10? Is it, is it Christ? Like Xmas? You know? The, Zia. Um, AE is apparently well, Ash. But uh, AE is like Caesar, right? 
Wait till Caesar, Caesar spelled like that. I don't know if it uses that glyph, but that glyph Zay. is independently known as Ash. I say Zaya. Um, and Shaya. the A12 Shaya? could be Shaya? Archangel based on the precursor to the SR-17, which was the Archangel program, the A12. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. If it's going to be unpronounceable, I think it should be a singular symbol like Prince. Why have people drawn uh, tattoos on her face? <laughs> Grimes' name is Claire Boucher is a real name. It's the son, of course. That helps. Oh, there's a tweet from her that explains it. Do you see this? Oh, oh, follow up. That That's new. Of course, it's what, gr- People Magazine. <laughs> the X unknown variable. Yeah, that's the a- one. A, a- my elven spelling of AI, love and or artificial intelligence. A12 right. precursor to SR-17, our favorite aircraft. Plus, A equals Archangel, my favorite song, X metal rat. So how do you pronounce it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. 48,000 people are talking about this, Mark. Well, let's not add any more. Mm-hmm. This is what we have, Tim. We have we have no live sports. You know what I've really been getting into? ESPN's <laughs> still ongoing series, The Last Dance, about the final season of the Chicago Bulls. Really? Michael Jordan and what did uh, they Phil stop? The, they killed the Bulls after the, after the season was over. It, the organization <laughs> sort of <laughs> imploded, <laughs> immolates itself. <laughs> yes, but um, I guess spoilers for those who don't remember their NBA history. But it's it's kind of really well done. It covers more than just that final season. It talks about yeah. You know, stuff in the past with Jordan in high school and college and joining the NBA and yeah. you know other greats Magic Johnson Larry Bird etc yeah it's good it's compelling um it's the best I've got since there's no live sports right, <laughs> to get my, right. my sports fanaticism right. out of the way right huh. craziness man 10 episode series six episodes have been released two episodes every Sunday so mm-hmm. check it out in your local provider whatever you use to get ESPN content right right Cool beans. All right. Ugh. I think Mark has to go and do some, something. I have to go and do something. Yeah, I, I have to go have, and do actually something. have to go do some work now. Oh, yeah. man. All right. Hate, hate when that happens. Yep. Till next time. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I've ordered some screens for making, to making to make the fabric for the more than just code masks. But, of course, Amazon says with Prime, it'll be here in two weeks. Because yeah. <laughs> it's not considered essential. If it's not in max form yet, a mask form yet, it's not an essential item. Yeah, true, true. Mm-hmm.